Let's get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather here today, whether in person or virtually, to learn about you. We know that you can do all things, so we rest easy in the thought that you will bring us all back together soon. Uh, please help all of us and all who are listening uh, to be back together soon. Please keep us all and all who are listening safe through the coming week, and please bless us with your word. Help us to learn and understand what you have for us today. And uh, thank you for keeping us all safe. In your heavenly name, amen. All right, so last week we talked about Job. And uh, what was Job? Specifically, it comes right out and says that he was blameless and upright. All right. Job was blameless and upright, which is pretty high praise uh, anywhere, but especially in the Bible, all right? The Bible doesn't pull any punches, right? You know what that means? If you pull a punch, if you're in a fight, it means you don't hit somebody as hard as you could. You kind of hold it back a little bit, all right? So uh, it basically means that the Bible is blunt, okay? The Bible tells us exactly how it is without trying to be nice. It doesn't fluff up. Uh, so for the Bible to say that Job was blameless means he absolutely was, okay? So jo uh, Job was an example of uh, what? He was our example of our picture of Christ last week, all right? And uh, the parallels were this. Uh, both Christ and Job were blameless, all right? Both Christ and Job were made to suffer. They both were made uh, to intercede for others, you know, Job at the end uh, interceded for his friends so that God would not punish them. And this is the same as Jesus interceding on our behalf, all right? By dying willingly on the cross, Jesus took our punishment. Uh, he interceded his precious blood for us, all right? And then lastly, both Job and Jesus were exalted for their actions. Job ended up receiving double that which was taken away from him. And uh, Jesus receives even much more as he sits in heaven and reigns forevermore. Uh, he is the only one worthy of such because of what he did. We also kind of talked about the timeline, right? The Old Testament timeline. We've got creation here and the birth of Christ here. That's about 4,000 years-ish, okay? So if we break it into our four sections. The flood, which we talked about a while back, is right about here. All right? In the first week, we talked about Joseph in Egypt, which is right about here, okay? And then Job fits in somewhere in between there. We're not exactly sure, okay? And we talked about how even though Job isn't necessarily the first events in the Bible, uh, it is likely the first book that was ever written down, all right? Which is kind of cool because then Job and his story would have been the first picture of Christ for the ancient world, all right? And uh, why are we doing this? 
Why are we talking about pictures of Christ? Why are they important? All right. The goal of our study is to be able to recognize Jesus. This will help us learn more about him, yes. But essentially, these stories were put in the Bible so that when Jesus came to earth, people could say, hey, I've heard that story before. This is very similar, right? Jesus must be the one who is promised. Jesus must be the one that all of these stories are essentially about. He is this common theme running through the entire Old Testament, and we're just tracing it, okay? Today we're going to continue back in the book of Genesis. We were started in Genesis, hopped over to Job, now we're coming back. And we're going to take a look at three guys that uh, you probably have heard about. We're going to talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? Now these guys, if we're looking at our timeline, were contemporaries of Job. So they too were right in here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were after the flood, but before Jesus or Joseph in Egypt. And that's because Abraham is the father of Isaac, and Isaac is the father of Jacob, and Jacob is the father of Joseph. Okay? So we got four generations there that we've kind of traced through. Alright? So now that we're getting better at finding these pictures of Christ and understand them, we're going to actually pick up the pace a little bit today and uh, hit a couple examples uh, and types of Christ. So I know you've been talking about Abraham on Tuesday night, and that'll let us kind of jump right in on the stories I want to discuss. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And let's start reading at verse 1. All right. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphet, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Kedorlaomer, <coughs> king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemebar, king of Zabulim, and the king of Bela, that is Zaor. All these joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Kedarleomer, uh, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedarleomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim. And Zuzim in Ham, and Emim in Shavath Karathaim, and the Herites, Horites in their mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Misfat, Mis yes, Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hezazan Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim against Kedarlamor, <coughs> king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, 
Amraphet, king of Sinar, Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother, son, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. That's a lot of names that aren't necessarily important to what we're talking about today. All right, but essentially there's a war. All right. Interestingly enough, this is the first of many wars that are recorded in the Bible. But the important thing for us is that Lot got caught up into it. Okay. So who's Lot? We'll add this name in here. Okay. Lot and Abraham. All right. Our family. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Okay. In the text, it says Abram, and that's because God ended up changing Abram's name to Abraham, but to us, they're the same guy, okay? So, remember that Lot was Abram. Uh, sorry. Yes, remember that Lot was Abraham's nephew, okay? But up until recently, Lot and Abraham did everything together. So when Abraham heard Lot had been captured... He knew that he had to do something. So let's keep reading chapter 14, verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Memra the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, that's Lot, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought them back all the goods, and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. All right, so Abraham gathers his servants, goes out to save Lot, and he wins. All right? But what happens next is kind of our focus, right? Picking up at chap uh, chapter 14, verse 18. After this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, <clears throat> possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. All right. So there's this guy, Melchizedek. And Abram gives him a tithe, or 10% of everything that he has. All right. Including what he just won in the war. The question is now, who is Melchizedek? All right. We'll add a guy up here. Melchizedek. Melchizedek, I'll give you a hint, is our first picture of Christ for today. All right? How do we know this? The first clue is that Melchizedek brings bread and wine. All right? Bread and wine. All right? 
there's some other clues here, all right? Secondly, he says, or the Bible says, he's a priest. Okay? More specifically, it says he is the priest, all right? Melchizedek was the priest of God Most High. And then also it says he's a king. Okay? So these things draw the connection between Melchizedek and Jesus. Okay? However, Paul helps us a little bit more. Okay? We're going to take a quick jog into Hebrews. All right? Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. All right? So let's break this down a little bit. Paul is talking to the Hebrews in a letter about Melchizedek, okay? And he helps us draw a few additional connections between Melchizedek and Christ. All right? So... Firstly, not only is Melchizedek a king, but he translates a little bit for us, all right? King of righteousness and king of peace. All right? Obviously, we know that uh, those are very similar names for Christ, all right? And secondly, because there's no mention of Melchizedek's birth, death, or genealogy, which are things that are all over in the book of Genesis, all right, helps us understand kind of the eternal nature of this priesthood, okay? So much like Jesus, who was, who is the eternal king and the eternal priest, all right, okay, our eternal path to God and Father. So we're going to put here, um, we'll put eternal. Melchizedek here. <clears throat> he met Abram after Abraham fought a battle, and uh, is kind of our first good picture of what Jesus Christ will be for us. Okay, he will be our priest, our king, and eternally our connection between uh, the human race and God, because that's what a priest is. They are the go-between between the people and God, all right? So that's Melchizedek, our first picture of Christ for the day. Now let's turn our focus to Isaac. All right. Isaac, son of Abraham. <clears throat> let's turn to Genesis chapter 22 now.
starting at verse 1, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So now remember, remember a couple things here. First, God promised Abraham that he would have a great number of descendants. All right? Great number of descendants. Okay? So God made that promise. Abraham knows this. Okay? But he had to wait 25 years from when God told him this to have Isaac. 25 years. It's a long time. All right. Had to wait 25 years. So now after that, after he's had his son... God is asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Asking Abraham to kill Isaac as a sacrifice. Just think about how hard that must have been for Abraham. All right? How hard it must have been to obey God's command. All right? Abraham must have had a lot of questions. Like, what are you doing, God? What am, what's going on here? You told me this, but now you're telling me something else. What do I do? All right. So let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. All right. So Abraham then had three long days to think about these things. All right. Think about what he was asked to do. And yet, notice how he plans and he carefully prepares. He's cutting the wood. All right. He's putting everything on a donkey. And he ends up going willingly. All right. That's a pretty, pretty tough ask, but he's doing it. Okay. Keep reading. Verse 5, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went out together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. All right, so notice here that only Isaac and Abraham continue on, okay? Only them go up to the mountain for the sacrifice. The wood is laid on Isaac's back, but Isaac knows that something is missing, okay? In a prophetic response, Abraham replies that God will provide the lamb, 
God will provide the sacrifice. All right? Verse 9, Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So there are two things to notice here. First, that Abraham, the father, has made all the preparations, and he himself raises the knife to kill his only son. And secondly, Isaac, the son, doesn't protest. Okay, we don't, you don't say that, he says, Father, don't kill me, all right? He willingly is bound to the altar, and just as Abraham raises his knife to kill his only son, God intervenes. Okay? Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. All right. So up till now, the picture of Christ has been Isaac. Okay. Let's collect our thoughts a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Isaac is the son. Okay. And Abraham represents God the Father. All right. So first, just like Abraham planned and prepared, God too has set plans in motion for thousands of years, all right? From eternity, he set these plans in motion to properly bring his son to the cross, all right? So we'll put in here, Father prepared. Just like Abraham and Isaac go to the sacrifice alone, so did God the Father and God the Son face the cross. All right? There were 12 apostles with Jesus who went to the Last Supper, and then 11 who went to the garden. Only three went to Jesus when he went to, by himself to pray, but none went with Jesus to the cross. All right? So just like... <clears throat> Isaac and Abraham leave the servants behind. God the Father and God the Son went alone. Okay. Just as Abraham said, God provided the sacrifice. All right? The perfect lamb is Jesus Christ, and God provided himself in atonement for our sins. All right? God provided the sacrifice. And just like Abraham was to deal the killing blow to his willing son, God the Father willed that his son be delivered to death. And Jesus went willingly. All right? So we'll put 
by the Father. Son was willing. Okay. But unlike in the case of Jesus, God spares Isaac. All right. And the picture kind of shifts. The role of the sacrifice is now the lamb that's caught by its horns. All right. Jesus now becomes the lamb provided by God. Okay. So Isaac grows up. All right. And has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And through Jacob, the entire nation of Israel ends up being born. Okay. In his life, Jacob does a bunch of things, including wrestling with God and having 12 sons, but he also has several dreams, okay? And the, probably the most famous of his dreams is a dream about a ladder, all right? And this is going to be our third picture of Christ for today. We're going to talk about Jacob's ladder. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, and we're going to start at verse 10. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Now Jacob uh, went from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there were the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Alright? So we're looking for pictures of Christ, right? Pictures of Christ so that we can recognize Jesus. How is this a picture of Christ. All right? How do we know that this is a picture of Christ? It's actually pretty easy. Jesus says so, okay? Let's turn to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We'll see what Jesus has to say. Okay? John chapter 1 starting at verse 49, okay? Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. All right? So it sounds like it's pretty similar things. In fact, we're going to say that it is the same thing. We've got ascending and descending angels, okay? We've got angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man in John, and we've got angels ascending and descending on a ladder in Genesis, okay? <clears throat> Jesus is the Son of Man, all right? So we can understand... That Jesus is the ladder. 
Jacob's Ladder is Jesus. Okay, so what can we learn from this? What can we learn if we understand Jacob's Ladder is Jesus? Okay, so we all know what a ladder is, right? If you need to get up high or you need to get something down to you that's already up high, okay, most of the time a ladder is the perfect tool, okay? So let's reread Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, okay? And pay close attention to the ladder itself, right? Pay close attention to Jesus in the dream. Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Then Jacob dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. All right? So, the ladder stands on earth, but the top reaches to heaven. So Jesus, the Son of God, is both 100% human, 100% on earth, but also 100% the Most High God. All right? So number one here, heaven and earth equals God. And it's a little confusing. you got to remember, Jesus isn't half God. Jesus isn't half human. He is simultaneously 100% God and 100% human. Okay? Secondly, the ladder is the path between heaven and earth. All right? Just like Jesus is the one true way. No one can come to the Father except through Christ. Jesus is the way. Okay? Thirdly, God the Father stands in heaven and gives his blessings and gifts. All right? If you were to keep reading, uh, God talks to Jacob and tells him all the ways that he's going to bless him. Okay? And he's standing in heaven over this ladder. All right? So this shows us that all of God's grace and spiritual blessings and promises that he wants to give to us, right? They have to come to us through Jesus, right? They have to come from heaven down through the ladder to us, right? So Jesus is the pathway by which we receive all of God's blessings. ladder is also or is simultaneously in heaven and earth, right? Jesus is 100% God, 100% human. For us to ascend the ladder, we have the, or ascend to heaven, the only way is the ladder, okay? The only way is Jesus. And for God's blessings to come down to us, again, the only way is Jesus, okay? Without Jesus, our high priest, right? That was Melchizedek. All right. Without Jesus, our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, our perfect sacrifice like we saw with Isaac, uh, or the ladder between earth and heaven, 
we humans would be eternally lost to the judgment of sin. All right? But with him, he can give us the connection. Right? He can act as the mediator between us and God. And as such, he takes our punishment of our sins. All right? So thank God uh, for Jesus Christ, our ladder to heaven. All right? Thank you guys very much. Hope you have a great day.